This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel and Chocolates for Heroes. I like that, sir. Chocolate. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. Heroes deserve at least chocolate. Well, you know, remember what the other name was with the H. Her, that's right. Yeah, I, legally I can't say it anymore. I got gotcha. you. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel and Chocolates for Heroes. And it is another beautiful day. Was... It's 6.30 now, 6.30 p.m. It was another beautiful day in the Jewish state. And I want to start off this program by saying thank you, thank you, thank you to all the guys at America's Web Radio who bring the truth about the Jewish state to the grassroots of the United States. The truth about Israel as this country is number one in the world in technology, agriculture, and medicine. And the vast amounts of humanitarian work that the Jewish people do around the world uh, Dr. Woodlansky, it is amazing. Amazing what your people do. It's amazing. Whenever there's a crisis around the world, the Israel Ready Team, whether it's in India, whether it's in uh, El Salvador, whether it's in Haiti, they're there within a day, <laughs> first up, and uh, they come on the ground, they're running. Amazing. So, thank you. I want to say also thank you to everyone who shares, who likes, who looks, who listens, not just to the radio show, but to all of our social media on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+. Thank you uh, for paying attention uh, to the work that we're doing here and for sharing it, uh, not just to watch it, not just to like it, but to share it. And that's what's most important, is that you work with us, we work together to get this message out about this amazing country and its fight for sovereignty and security. I also want to take a second just to say thank you, or a minute to say thank you, to everyone that is a participator and not a spectator by sending chocolates for heroes to these Israelis, to the Israeli soldiers. Listen, Americans literally are sending thousands, I can say this, of Hershey's chocolate bars with notes on them to the soldiers. We love you, we pray for you, we stand with you. Sir, I'm telling you, I've got bases lined up. I, I can tell you something. My three sons who are soldiers <clears throat> like the chocolate. I've shared them with them, and they love them. Well, I appreciate the picture you sent to me. That was fantastic. And, you know, I was, I was just on the bus coming up here from Tel Aviv. We're in Jew Jerusalem right now. And, you know, you can, you can kind of read people's personalities sometimes if you just watch them for just a little bit. And there was this young soldier on the bus. She couldn't have been more than 19. And you could just tell she was shy. And she was just sitting there by herself, her head up against the window. And I thought, and you know, I have this routine when I get on the bus. I get myself settled in. I let the bus get on a straight course as far as flat. Once we're headed up the hill to Jerusalem, it's almost impossible. And then I count the number of soldiers on the bus. And I take a, a business card and two chocolate bars for each soldier. And I explained to them about Insight to Israel and then Chocolates for Heroes and how, why Americans, why? Not just how, how much, but why Americans love them. And so uh, I introduced myself to this young lady. And when I told her about Insight to Israel, and then I talked to her about Chocolates for Heroes, the look that came on that girl's face, it's always initial shock for a few seconds. And then you just see this, this smile of gratitude 
The, it's, you know why? There's nothing, nothing that speaks more about a person's life than when they show gratitude. And even in a little instance like that, she was like that. Just and it had a soft voice, and she, she you could tell she wasn't someone that was, you know, a talker, you know. But it was just a look on her face of of, of thankfulness, and uh, she was so excited, so shocked. And I even saw another soldier on the bus who said, "Oh, you already got me like five times." <laughs> so, you know. To see this gratitude and, and the shock. What the sad thing is the shock. To, to think that over and over again, and, and uh, when I hear from Israelis who were born here, who were raised here, who don't know anything, who can't see anything about uh, how Americans stand with this country. You know, they're, they're always, when they approach me, they're, thank you, Michael, you're amazing. I'm like, I'm not amazing. I'm doing the right thing and that's it. You have to understand that most Israelis who have not been in the United States or who aren't fluent in English get their information about the United States through the Israeli news media. And the Israeli news media, to a certain extent like the American news media, the Israeli media are left-leaning, if not left-wing, like most of the mainstream media in the United States. You know this. I know this. Right. I've worked in both. <laughs> I mean, you know my background. From the New York Times up through the Cox newspapers, Israeli television, Israeli army radio. I've been both places. I've been in all the media centers. They don't know that the average American, especially in the heartland, but really from coast to coast, Americans, going back to the founding fathers, saw themselves as the new Israel. Right. And they viewed the Hebrew Bible, even though they were Christian, they viewed the Hebrew Bible as their guiding light. They weren't ashamed to believe in God. Thomas Jefferson wrote, Endowed by the Creator. Wow. It was a message about God. They originally thought of having as their flag... Not stars and stripes, but the symbol of the Ten Commandments. Wow. Or the crossing of the sea. And that, of course, is a Hebrew Bible message. And that message was different than the message in Europe. Right. In wow. Europe, it was the divine right of kings, which was a distortion of Christian scripture. Right. But wow. the Hebrew Bible couldn't be distorted because the old prophets said God is your king mm -mm -mm. yes you may have an earthly king but he takes orders from God he's guided by his prophets he's guided by his words and he's not above the law which is also an American message right. that it is a government of law and not a government of men so on so many levels <laughs> Americans took their cue from Israel. And that has always been the case, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican. Woodrow Wilson supported the Balfour Declaration. Harry Truman, also a Democrat, recognized Israel. Ronald Reagan always spoke of the city on the hill. Well, the city on the hill is Jerusalem. Right. That's the original wow. city on the hill. So you, <laughs> you see the messages 
through the existence of the United States 200, 250-year-old republic, coming from a 4,000-old people, the people of Israel. Wow. And that's why it's so strong together. Abraham Lincoln, I was just reading, he spoke of Americans as the almost chosen people because they had something to do, like the Israelites, to save democracy in the world. It's a very important message. It's totally different than the message you'll get in Japan from the Japanese or in Russia from the Russians or in Germany from the Germans. It's a nationhood built on an idea, Wow. On a concept. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, uh, let me, you know, I say this because, and, and we're not veering off here. This is going in the direction. Americans need to hear this. Because Why do you think terrorists come after both of us? Because you can buy off a Russian, you can buy off a Japanese, <laughs> you can buy off a Frenchman, but you can't buy off an idea. You're right. But you know what's happening? You and I both know it. They are being bought off. I know. But with that being said... But at its core, America is an idea and Israel is an idea. Absolutely. And, and that's... You know, I, when, I, when I was in the United States for the three weeks that I was there, I did speak in a, in a few... Uh, I spoke at my mother's church and a few other places... And too many times in the United States, I mean, we, 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 and I'm not going to say all Americans, but the reality is, is that now the new symbol of patriotism in the U.S. is a guy on a Harley Davidson motorcycle flying an American flag. He's got tattoos all over him with a, with a goatee and a girl in a big bikini clad, red, white, and blue and AR-15. And so when you, when you stand up and you say, this country is not about a piece of land it's not about a flag. It's not a. It's a concept. It is a concept, an idea that can be taken in your heart, carried with you from uh, all over the world. That's right. And when you lose the concept, you must come back to the concrete, which is God, the Bible, the Jewish people, and Israel. The idea of freedom and opposition to slavery. The slavery of uh, a desert sheikh who thinks that if somebody has black skin or is of the feminine persuasion, they will serve him. That he has the right to ride a magic carpet over their heads. We don't believe that. We believe that all men are created equal. That all souls matter. All souls matter. That's a, a Jewish concept that became a Christian concept that is an American concept. Wow, that's powerful stuff, sir. That's amazing, because you know when when I when I've discussed with people in the past, you know they there's this old, worn out phraseology. For example, Thomas Jefferson was a deist. All this other stuff. In spite of my response is always this: in spite of the fact that even though doctrinally somewhat they, each of the founding fathers may have differed to some degree, to a small degree, not to a great degree, they all believed in the God of the Bible. That's right. And some of the stuff you were just sharing. The and basic decency of the Bible's message, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not rob, thou shalt not covet, 
love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord thy God. These are basic concepts. They were religious concepts, but they are part of our code today. And they are never watched as well as by two countries in the world, Israel and the United States. The other countries play with them. And they can't understand why in America and Israel, when a French president or a Russian president or one of these other guys pulls off stunts, we get upset because we are judged by a higher standard. Right. We judge ourselves by a higher standard. And we know where that standard comes from. Wow. You know, so would you say it's foolhardy and even arrogance for the United States government uh, to go into a place like Iraq and Afghanistan and try to set up a democracy? Because when you look at it in a, in a broader scale, unless the, the heart of the people understands the principles of the Bible and is able to and willing to, as a free agent, establish their government in submission to God and, his, and having an understanding of His will and destiny, uh, then that democracy, quote-unquote, is doomed to failure. I have to say, I have mixed feelings on the subject. Okay. When you think of the great men of history and the messages they brought the world, religious message, you think of Abraham, you think of Moses, you think of Jesus. They preached, they talked, they also acted. But they realized themselves that there was so much they could do. Abraham pitched his tent, told people about God, hosted them in his tent, and said, you can choose to come with me. I won't force you. Right. I'm not going to proselytize you. Right. But maybe you want to model yourself on my actions. And that's how he won people over. The same thing with Moses. The same thing with Jesus. We see also in Moses and, and in Abraham that they fought wars to save their people, to save themselves. Abraham fought a war to save his nephew. Yeah. But his nephew didn't really keep the precepts the way Abraham did. Yeah. He kept some of them. He kept some of them, and then he settled in Sodom. Right, right, right. 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 So we understand that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Right. In the case of, obviously, you're talking about Iraq... The U.S. went into Iraq and achieved great things, at great cost. I didn't think it was even possible. But we did achieve great things. <clears throat> Do we have the ability to stay there forever? To stay there a little bit? Partial forces? Obviously, <clears throat> some places in the world, it'll work. Japan, Germany, the U.S. won a great victory and return those countries to democracy. They are important democracies. I think that if President Obama had put a little more effort into Iraq instead of cutting and running, we could have achieved great things there. 
Does that mean that I believe blindly in this idea of Arab Spring or turning all the hearts and minds of the Middle East over to democracy? No. I'm skeptical, and I think things have to be done slowly, and there will be ups and downs. But I Generationally. That's right. But I think that showing an example and being patient works. But it's not going to be measured in months. It's going to be measured in years and decades and more than that. There are some changes. There are some positive changes. But we can't be everywhere, not America and not Israel. We made the mistake in Lebanon. We thought we had a peace treaty with Lebanon. I mean, remember the same. That's right. why. That's why when the U.S. went into Iraq, I was skeptical because I remembered what happened when Israel went into Lebanon. Yeah, we had to go in and fight the war, right. remove the bad guys, but you couldn't stay there forever. Right. The U.S. is stronger than Israel. The U.S. could stay longer in Iraq, invest more, and it achieved results. And then a president who was good at seizing defeat from the jaws of victory. Seize defeat. Wow. Next program? <laughs> That's awesome. So, with that is our introduction, 17 minutes into the first half. Okay. I want to say thank you, Dr. Michael Wodlansky, for being on Insight to Israel. My pleasure. And, uh, wow, you know what? Uh, I, I want to say, first of all, on a personal level, that uh, for the years that I've known you, and it hasn't been like 10 or 15 years, but it's... A few years. It's, it's been uh, about three years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, off air, some of the conversations that we've had have been amazing. I've walked away. Uh, I've gleaned. Gleaned something from... Uh, I, I would venture to say that, uh, in my experience, you're a man of wisdom. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, I've always walked away gleaning with some, gleaning something from our conversation. Now if I can only find you the right girl and get you set up with a nice family, then you'd be... <laughs> my, this is it. This is my love right here. Okay. okay. But uh, I've already... I've tried that twice. All right. You know? And uh, I've, I've, I've had some girlfriends, but at the end of the day, this is, this is what I love. Not some. You need the one. And she has to be cool with your work also. Right. Exactly. So that's a, that's a tough one in this day and age. That's true. But with that being said, thank you to everyone who gives to the soldiers, who listens to the radio show. And uh, Dr. Wodlanski, Michael, uh, the, the world's a mess. Yes, it is. It's a mess. But there, there is hope for the world because people are beginning to see that there is a mess. And in order to clean up the mess, you have to be able to identify it. And what we're seeing in Britain, in Germany, in France, in Austria, in the United States, people are getting sick and tired with fat bureaucrats, comfortable career officials right. who care only for their own cushy seats and don't care for the benefit of the future of their societies. And I think that is changing. That's why you're seeing upheaval in Britain about the European community. Right. Why you're seeing the same thing in Austria and Germany and even in France. People are very upset with the face of Islamic terror, Arab Islamic terror. 
and with the fact that it has been coddled by career bureaucrats who use politically correct but factually inaccurate terminology to describe the danger and basically don't do anything except talk. Now I'm going to cut you off right there at this point and make a statement and then we'll continue along those lines. So keep that, mark that in your mind. It's marked. Looking at history and seeing today and, might I add, <laughs> looking at biblical prophecy, uh, I'm going to, there are great people, there are good people in the world. Sincere, good people that uh, want to somehow regain the former. Whether it's Americans who look at, uh, uh, as someone who was born in the 70s, I'm 45, uh, man, you I would. Look, you look like you're 28. Girls out there, he looks like he's 28. <laughs> I feel like it sometimes, as long as I stay in the gym. But uh, you know, me being born in the 70s, wow, what not? What I wouldn't, what I wouldn't give to have those former days of imperfection, but not cultural as as much cultural corruption as the 80s. And great men like Ronald Reagan, who who studying. Policy uh, was probably the last great president. Right. Uh, neither one of the Bushes were. They're too tied to one world government. They're too tied to Islamic oil. Uh, and I was deceived. I, I'm telling you, sir, I was deceived after, uh, and I would have done anything and gone to end. If you said one, and I'm, I don't want to get off on a tangent, if you said one negative thing about George W. Bush, by God, I was going to fight you tooth and toenail. But now I study his policies, and I'm like, wow, all because he said he was a Christian, I was duped. I swallowed it. Mm -hmm. My point in saying that is we, can, we are not going to go back to the former days. It's impossible. Once you tip the domino, and it's tipped. So my, my, my full statement is this. How old were you in 1978? Eight years old. So you don't remember. Jimmy Carter? You don't really remember. Okay. There was a bad it was economic a bad, situation. It was a very, Governmentally. Not just that. I say it because people, you know, when they, they criticize Trump, and I'm not a booster of Trump. Right. No. I'm, not, I'm certainly not. Uh, and I, although I have criticisms of George W. Bush, I will say some good things about him as well. Okay. Firstly, because he, he was and is a man of faith with good intentions really good intentions, and a good friend of Israel. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and I said, um, by the way, he was more opposed to a Palestinian state than Ariel Sharon. He didn't want it. And Sharon said, I'm pushing it. So you should know that. Okay. The, the situation in 1977 through 1980 was that America sunk into stagflation, more than 20% inflation. Yeah, I heard that. Terrible unemployment, collapse of the, of the standard of, uh, of living. And Reagan came to power. People thought he was news media. I had good friends. They all said he was a fool. He was a bumbling actor who'd been in movies with monkeys. I hate hearing that. You remember, you remember some of this? Yeah. 
And Jimmy Carter was supposedly an intellectual. <laughs> Jimmy Carter is the man who gave us the terror state of Iran. He and his State Department believed that Ayatollah Khomeini was a moderate. He served up Iran on a platter to the Ayatollahs, the way that Obama has served them up nuclear weapons and money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Reagan turned that around, and he gave us a tremendous chance. <clears throat> America leading the world, the fall of communism. <clears throat> I think that George Bush, the father, George Herbert Walker Bush, and to a certain certainly... Bill Clinton threw away that opportunity. Bill Clinton was interested in a <clears throat> multilateral world ruled by the UN and all kinds of other visions. And Republicans in Congress were not strong enough to be able to uh, beat him, so they basically compromised with him on many issues, including Newt Gingrich and others. Right, right. And it fell to George W. Bush to try to regain some of that momentum back. But remember, he was elected under a shadow, that whole Florida business. Right. So his, his legitimacy was really questioned. Right. And then he was, and America was struck with 9-11. So it's, I think it, you have to be a little more charitable towards him. Okay. And and again, and, wisdom speaks. <laughs> no, I, I just say that I'm not saying he didn't make mistakes. Right. Some of them terrible mistakes. Right. But by the way, when the United States won World War II, Roosevelt and Truman made some terrible mistakes. Right. American generals made some terrible mistakes. One of them was allowing Russia to gobble up half of Eastern Europe. And yet, America achieves some great success. Save the world. Right. So we have to look at that part of the, the glasses full right. rather than the rest of the glasses empty. Right. And I think that there is an opportunity to come back for America. I don't. And I think that the world is ready and actually eager to have a United States that's strong again. They don't want to be taking their cues from Vladimir Putin nah. or the Chinese communists. I call him Putler. Uh, the, but there has to be somebody serious in the United States. But when you have a when you have a culture of corruption and hedonism, it's that's right. It's a it's a difficult problem, and it requires serious leadership. It, you know, if I had to pick a human being and put him <laughs> together or her together, I would say take somebody with the. Uh, the integrity of a Romney, the business sense of a Romney, with the instincts of a uh, of a Trump, uh, perhaps with the faith of a George W. Bush, and with a vision of a Ronald Reagan, and a communication skill of a, of a Reagan, and you could get a pretty you could get about eighty percent of what you need, and you still need more. But God sometimes sends us somebody like that. Maybe not this year. Or maybe whoever is elected, whoever happens to be elected, will grow in office. Remember Harry Truman. We haven't got much time, sir. I mean, when you look at the, the landscape. I understand, but remember, you know, when 
When Roosevelt died, Franklin Delano Roosevelt died, the world thought he was the greatest. We know today that he was a very flawed leader. All right. And Harry Truman, out of Independence, Missouri, who'd been a haberdasher, he'd sold clothes, he was a sergeant in the Army, he actually saved the world. First of all, he defeated the Japanese by dropping the two bombs and saving the lives of millions of Americans and millions more Japanese <clears throat> right. who said, enough is enough. That stopped the war. And then he led the fight against communism. A Democrat from Missouri, <laughs> a small little man, right. who filled the shoes of the presidency, never took a buck in his pocket from anybody, did great things. And hold that thought. We're going to come right back. See how fast that went? That went fast. That's good stuff, sir. It's Mike Wiganow with Insight to Israel. We'll be right back. When Lou Gehrig was the first to be featured on the front of the Wheaties box in 1924, it was because of his strength as a baseball player. Michael Jordan's basketball strength has put him on the Wheaties box 18 times. However, we all know that strength comes in many other forms, such as academics, emotions, and spirituality. Recently, I visited a museum featuring the strongest man in the world. His name was Paul Anderson, who grew up in Toccoa, Georgia, and won his strength title as an Olympic champion many times. Yet, it was his inner strength in caring for children that made him a greater champion. This athlete's compassion was better than a box of cereal and lasted longer than all of his gold medals. God looks at our inner strength and supplies it when we're weak. The Apostle Paul reminded us of the true source of strength when he said that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What's your claim to fame? Who's your source of strength? If you think that you can do it all on your own, you're wrong and you're weak. If you ask God to make you strong, you can't go wrong. This is John Bryan bringing you today's Key Word. Leading the Way features the Bible-teaching ministry of Dr. Michael Youssef, the founding pastor of the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta. I hope that you'll make plans to join us each week when we're privileged to share two recent messages that I know will encourage you in your faith. You'll also learn more about the worldwide outreach of Leading the Way to more than 200 countries and in more than 20 different languages. So join us right here for Leading the Way. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. It's a tax. You know, right now in the United States, everybody has to come together because we have to unify as Americans. While I agree with that, what's happening is the left is using a lot of this. If you are standing for uh, uh, an ideology of principle, biblical principles even, whether you're a Jew or Christian, you will be shut out and you will be shut down because you will be seen as divisive and divisive. Yeah. And that's what I, and I'm not being negative. That's I, 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 what I'm seeing in reality. I see people like my mother and churches losing their tax exempt status if they don't marry certain groups of people. Sure. And I'm not ashamed to say it. They don't marry homosexuals. Right. Uh, this is what I see coming. And I tell America, I tell my family, you better prepare. You had better prepare for what's coming. Now, I, don't, I mean that in a lot of different senses. I mean that spiritually, I mean that in a physical sense. Uh, be prepared to find yourself 
with no money when the economy breaks. Uh, you have these are things that are mental and emotional and spiritual because you know I can sit in this. You you, you have a beautiful home, but if you if you see that there's going to be a fire and it's inevitable, you you realize that okay, I may I'm going to lose a lot of this. But I need to prepare my families and make them strong mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And that's what I and, and I even tell Israelis. I, I'll be honest with you, it's sir. It's an important biblical story. Go ahead. King David was being attacked by his son Absalom. Wow! Wow! And in order to win the battle, he had to leave the palace, to go into the field, hide, win, and come back. You have to sometimes be prepared to do that. I think that many Americans are. Yeah, I think Americans see what's coming. I think that particularly people who wouldn't normally be considered the intellectual or elite class, what I would call the common man, the middle class, the lower middle class, the lower class, people who want to better their lives and their children's lives by hard work, saving I think they have the common sense which is uncommon among our leaders All right wow and I they have a, and they have a great faith which is also common among these people but uncommon among our leaders and there's a time when in order to be a healer it's not enough to study medical texts you have to also have an artistry. You also have to have a faith. And then you can produce great things, if not miracles. And I think America can produce that. You know, uh, we've seen it here in Israel many times, but of course this is the land of miracles. Amen. <laughs> How many times have we seen people predicting the end of Israel next week, the week after that? Right. On an objective level, I mean, you've been around the country and you know the history. The state of Israel in many respects is stronger than it's ever been before. It's amazing, sir. Amazing. When, when we came here, and, when we set up the state in 1948, I wasn't born then, but 1948, there were 600,000 Jews and more than a million Arabs. And in the space of a year, a year and a half, they took in a million more Jews as refugees from Europe and Arab countries. Think of that. Wow. That's like a sponge absorbing twice its own weight. And built a country out of nothing. There weren't any great natural resources to help them. The only resource they had was courage. And their brains. And they did it. And the country became very strong. And every time if you ask somebody from the CIA or the State Department, they expected the Arabs to swamped the Jews that week, the week after, the 56 war, the 67 war, whatever it happens to be. You look at it today, the same people on the left who said, oh, we have to give up half the country or they'll kill us. We have to give up the Golan or they'll kill us. If we'd given up the Golan, we'd be seeing ISIS and ISIL in, in Tel Aviv. Right. So, right. The, so our faith and our tenacity guarded us. You know, the, there's a verse in Psalm 33. Your faith was like a rod to me. That is our rod. 
It's not always strategic analysis. Sometimes it's faith. Sometimes it's just good sense. Yeah. And, you know, the state of Israel is built with what they often call the, the West Bank, what we call Judea and Samaria. Yeah. Judea and Samaria are the world's greatest anti-tank trap. They're the best natural defense against an invading army. God, in his wisdom, created it that way. The first Bible Belt. That's right. Created it that way to say, you can't give this up, because you'd be stupid to give it up. Right. Not just for reasons of faith, but for reasons of strategy. Thank God we haven't given it up. And we didn't give up the Golan. Sinai wasn't part of our land. I mean, we won it. Okay, we tried. We've made deals. Better with Egypt than with the so-called Palestinians. We're learning. The United States will learn also. The United States will learn also. Listen, we're 4,000 years old. We've had more experience. <laughs> now, to counteract those, because I don't get involved in domestic issues. Okay. That's your business. That's the business that is the Jewish people to handle. Unless we're talking about this current soldier that's in jail, and I compare that to American soldiers who are now in jail because they didn't kill the right way. Uh, aside from that, when people complain about, when I hear people say, oh, our government's corrupt and blah, blah, because I, I listen, I worked in this thing. I know how bad it is, how it's entrenched, the corruption. Yeah. But they say, oh, our government's corrupt and everything. I'm like, but you only had 67 years, 68 years become corrupt. We've had over 200. So, but I do encourage people here, it is your responsibility. God restored, rebirthed your country. I don't care if you're wearing a keeper or not. You have a moral, biblical, ethical, historical obligation now. If you don't like what goes on, you need to get in there and to ch help change it. Well, you know, whenever Americans say to us, uh, you've got problems with your leaders, I say, we hold our leaders to very high standards. When was an American president thrown out of office for fooling around with secretaries? Interns. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't. In our country, he's in, still in jail. Moshe Katsav. <laughs> when did you have a president or chief executive officer who was thrown into jail for corruption? Ever happen? No. Nah. We All have, of them would be in jail. We have one who's still in jail. His name is Ehud Olmert. It's not because our corruption is greater. It's because our intolerance of corruption is greater. We don't tolerate it. Wow. And I, that's something that the world should learn. I wish that uh, I wish that were so in my country, for sure. Because, you know, I had a, um, a young lady that she's traveling the world right now. I worked with her in politics and... She actually was an accountant. She would do for the FCC reports, or FEC, the FEC reports, Federal Elections Commission. Yeah. And so these are Republicans. And she said, Michael, I couldn't take it anymore. She goes, I spent a year, year and a half. I saved up every dime I could. She goes, the, I was, she was working for like a couple senators and congressmen doing all their books. And she's, and she's from Texas. She said, I couldn't do it. The, the, I had to cover for them or else they'd be in jail. And so she saved up her money and she's traveling around the world. She was actually here in Israel and she loved I took her to Hebron. Uh -huh. Anyway, with that being said, I, sir, I, I sincerely, I, I pray for the people in the United States. I pray yeah. for them. Americans suffered 9-11 and they learned from it. But then they forgot. Okay. <laughs> and 
learn for two years, three years, and then they forget. Right. And they're going to learn from San Bernardino, from Fort Hood, and from Orlando. And God forbid if there are more cases. They will learn from it. Um, it's very important to learn from history. One of the biggest commandments that Moses gave is at the very end of the five books of Moses, he said, Zechol Yemot Olam, study the days of the earth. It's a commandment to study history. It's three or four chapters from the end of the five books of Moses. Study Zechol Yemot Olam, Binu Shnot Examine closely the years of the generation. Ask your father, and he will tell you. Your elders, and they will show you. It's very important to study history. You don't have to wait until you have a historian tell you that if you don't study history, you'll relive it. Moses told us. Very important. We say it in the U.S. all the time. What gets around comes around, etc., you have to study history or it'll bite you in the neck. Unfortunately, people are covering up history. They're not using the right words. They don't want to look too hard. You remember the Fort Hood bombing? Very. Wow. The chief of staff of the U.S. Army said, I'm glad we didn't insult anybody's religion. Really. The man was threatening to commit atrocities on the Internet and in his meetings with people. The same thing with the people from San Bernardino. The same thing with this guy from Orlando. His wife helped him. And, and people around didn't want to complain because they were afraid they'd be called racist or... Islamophobe. Whatever. Right. Let me tell you about this word, Islamophobia, which makes me crawl, cringe. A phobia is an unreasoning fear. It's like if you walk across the George Washington Bridge... And you say, oh, the bridge is going to fall down. That's an unreasoning fear. But when you say that there's a legitimate fear of Muslim extremists because one out of every ten, or two out of every ten, or three out of every ten Muslims around the world in various places believes in an extremist form of Islam, in conquest, in forced subservience to the Sharia law. Which is what Muhammad did. Okay, but uh, some people moved away from it. They're talking about moving back to it. Even if it's only 100 out of a billion people, it's only 100 million who believe that. We're in trouble. It's like somebody offers you 10 M&Ms, and you know that one of them is poison. Are you going to take any of those M&Ms? <laughs> you're not going to take any of those M&Ms. It's not because you're racist against M&Ms. Because you don't want to be poisoned. That's, it's just common sense. So let me ask you, along those same lines, if you have this percentage that I personally would call the militant arm of Islam. Right. You know, even though the wife in Orlando was not a terrorist in herself. She was a supporter. She was clearly a supporter. She was an, an enabler. So She was a helper. How easy would it 
But what would you say the percentages are that are enablers, even though they're not willing to commit the the, the attacks? Again, I say it could be ten percent, could be fifteen percent. The 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 Pew uh, Center for Social Research has done polls around the Arab countries, and they've asked people, "Do you support the use of violence to do this, that?" A variety of questions. Certain places. It's very, very high. Sudan, um, the Palestinian Authority, parts of Jordan, Pakistan. It's not Arab. I remember reading that, that research. That's right. It's very, very strong, and it's striking. That's a warning. And so if, if I were handling immigration policy into Europe or the United States, I'd pay attention to that. So let me ask you. The, for the past 30 years, and I've watched this starting in my late teens, is when I started studying about Islam. I'm not a scholar, but I, sometimes I think some things don't take a scholar. It just takes some reading. But uh, I've watched the growth of Islam. So we've seen the warnings that were given to Europe. Muammar Gaddafi said, we don't need suicide bombers. We just need an open immigration policy. That's right. So... Now Europe is in a place now, and it's funny because when I talk to <laughs> when I talk to Israelis, they they kind of laugh, and they say, "Of course they do." They they've been persecuted. Europe has learned in six months what Israel has known for a long time. Yeah, the Chancellor of Germany, Merkel, said, "We're going to take in five million, ten million, whatever it happened to be," and then within three months, she and her ministers have said, "We can't take in anymore. We can't do this." We have to examine people. And why are they saying that? Today in Israel, one of her ministers spoke at the Herzliya conference and said, if we don't realize that there are limits, populists and rightists will come to power and do it for us. And that's exactly right. But in order to solve that problem, I think, I think when I, I look at how bad it is, and the media obviously is not showing you everything. That's right. You would literally have to bring in a military force. And there would be bloodshed. So my question is, when I look at what the Europeans have allowed to happen and tolerated, and now it's reached a crescendo, and it's not over yet. It's not over. Are they willing? Is, you know... They're going to have to do two things. Let me, let me say this real quick. When I look at a man like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who swore up and down, you know who I'm talking about, who swore up and down, good Germans would never allow it. And then, once they allowed it, as a Christian, he was confronted with the question. Martin Luther said you should be loyal as a Christian. Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And people don't interpret that the right way and then make us slaves to a government. My point in saying that is, is that even Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he was confronted, he was, they told him, they said, you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to fight or are you going to submit? And I believe that the Europeans, knowing the Europeans and their history, even though they want to fight to do what needs to be done, and I, I, I'm very hesitant as to say what I think needs to be done in an open situation. 
I'll tell you what I think. The first thing you have to do is deal with the core of the problem, which is back in Syria and Iraq, which is what started the, the waves of migration. You have to defeat radical Islam at its source. Defeat it militarily. Show that it can be beaten. A symbolic, strong victory. And the second thing you have to do is send people home. You take them, you send them home, you want to give them an aid package, fine. They don't have to be in Britain, they don't have to be in France, they don't have to be in Germany. And after you've done that, there's a third thing. You say to the large Muslim community in your country, you want to be German? You want to be French? You want to be British? You can observe your religion, that's fine. But you have to be part of our national dream and our national culture. Otherwise, you can't stay. And that day is coming. You think? Absolutely. I, I, I don't feel like they have the strength to do it. Because when, you, when women are being raped in the streets right. and people are being murdered... But they created laws against standing up to the Muslims. Those laws will be swept aside... Immediately, sir. If you you obviously know something I don't because I, I just I've it's never not happening. I don't I don't. Okay, I, it's if hard for had, me to if fathom. You had, if you had to predict two months ago what was going to happen with the British and the common market, the European community, right? Everybody was going to predict that Britain would stay in. The right. Prime Minister was supporting it, but they just supported. They just voted in. A Muslim mayor into London. That's London, which who's is now uh, pushing now. That's a, that's a little bit like New York. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like New York or Chicago. It's a very specific community, right? But in terms of what I have a feeling that they're going to push to get out of the European community. And what's interesting about it is, it's not all coming from the right. Right. You have large parts of the British Labour Party base who are saying. We don't want these migrants in our community anymore. It's gone too far. It's gone far too far. And and this didn't happen in one day. Right. There were the attacks in London and further attacks in London, the beheading of the policemen, the, the hooliganism in, in various northern towns, the threats on a British author, Salman Rushdie, this is stuff that's been building for 15, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And there's now a backlash. And it's not a sudden backlash. It's like a tsunami, like the whole level of the sea rose. And that's happening also in France. In France, it will happen more slowly, because the French are always more slow. <laughs> I don't call them slow. I just call them cowards. But it's honestly. also happening in Germany. Yeah. It's also happening in Spain. Not too harsh in my speech. No, no, you're being straight, and uh, we need straight talk. I love your God. country. <laughs> Absolutely. So, let me ask you, so, well, here's the key. If we're going to do something about Syria, if we let's say we solve that. I, I don't see the Russians going away. Uh, they mock the United States. The, the China mocks us. You know what's happening in the South China Sea. So let's say we solve the, the Syrian issue. The, obviously, Bashar al-Assad would have to stay in power, I would imagine. But what do you then do 
with uh, because everybody talks about Syria and ISIS, but what do you do with countries like Saudi Arabia who's been funding terrorism and Dubai and Qatar and, and Yemen? I mean, how does this? You can't solve everything in one full swoop. But what you say? But our America is the American government willing to be honest enough? Well, you know, when you Ronald think? Reagan was was president. Something very interesting happened with Gaddafi. America struck at Libya and the Gulf of Sidra. Amazing. And all of a sudden, Gaddafi said, "I'm not going to be so bad anymore." And he did the same thing after George W. Bush went into Iraq. He said, I'm not going to be so bad anymore. Authoritarians, when they see superior power, lower their profile. It's not because they've become charitable. Right. They haven't become philanthropists all of a sudden. (laughs) But they believe they want to live. And they change their profile. Just like when ISIS fighters... They're very bold in their videos and the murder and their Until rape. they get their feet cut out from under them. Then they're not so bold anymore. They're crying like babies. That's right. And you know, the Arab world made peace with Israel for the first time after Israel won a military victory. It had to win several times. Right. Wow. The biggest victory was the 73 war, which was the most difficult for Israel. But what people don't remember is that at the end of the 73 war, If the U.S. hadn't held Israel back, Israel would have been in Damascus and in Cairo. Those governments understood that. Sadat realized it. He also realized his country could never survive unless it made peace with Israel because it needed to make peace with the United States. After the Gulf War, Syria also realized it had to talk to Israel for the first time without any games. And they started to talk. And then, of course, they were rescued by Bill Clinton, who didn't really push things any further. And, of course, the Likud was out of power. Rabin was willing to make all kinds of concessions. Authoritarians respect might. It's I know it's not right. We raise our children and we say... Fighting doesn't solve anything, but that's wrong. Fighting sometimes does solve something. Absolutely it does. Fighting was what got America its independence. Absolutely. Wow. Fighting is what got Israel its independence. Thank you. It's beautiful. It's not always... That's right. I've never been in a war, sir. What I've seen your soldiers go through, but I've never... There's only one thing worse than war, and it's dying as a slave. I hope I never have to die as a slave, sir. That's right. That's right. That's why Israel came out of Egypt, not to die as slaves. Because then you live your life as a slave, wishing you to fall. You die a, a thousand deaths. I, I, you know what I think? I, I'll be honest with you. We've got a few minutes left here. I think the United States is going to go away. We're no longer a superpower, no matter who gets in, because it's so bad. And we're so bought. The Muslims have so bought into both political parties. When you have the, the Republican Muslim coalition... And you know, it's already been proven they're all tied to Islamic groups and everything. I think the U.S. will go away, our economy will collapse, we'll exist in name, but not in power and in might. I think Europe will be overridden by, by Islam. Uh, the Vatican will make a treaty with the Muslims in Europe. And I'm smiling. You know why I'm smiling? <laughs> because my father, of blessed memory, 
who was a Holocaust survivor. He survived the Nazis and the Communists. In the late 1980s, and before that, he was telling me to study Russian, and I studied Russian, but he wanted me to study Russian even more than Arabic. He said, the Russians are very strong. I said, Dad, one day it will collapse like a house of cards. There's nothing that seems stronger than a dictatorship from the outside. Right. But it's rotten from the inside, right. and it will collapse. The Chinese communist economic empire is not as strong as it seems. Putin in Russia is very weak, actually. But what he has is commitment, desire. And his people are committed. And tenacity. But the average life expectancy in Russia is under 55 years old if you're a man. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. They do not live I'm sure it's shorter in China. Well, in Russia they don't live very long because of alcoholism, dirt, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. The United States is still a strong country. It has to be able to tell itself that. It hasn't told itself that for a while. Maybe that'll change soon. It won't change overnight. But nobody would have believed that after Reagan got elected that things would turn around so fast. But we didn't have the culture of corruption. You did have corruption. the The godlessness in our society, in our culture. You had some of it. I remember the me generation of the 70s. When the U.S. government legalizes above the will of the people homosexual marriage, beyond the will of the people, the majority do not want it. wasn't the government. You know what that was? The Supreme Court. That was five men. Okay. But those five men, they have to die. Again, I wouldn't say that. What I would say is that... What has to happen is that Congress, which has been a bunch of wimps for a long time, oh, they're disgusting, has to reassert itself. Yeah. The Constitution of the United States talks about the House and the Senate right. as the primary branch of government. Paul Ryan just said was talking about that yesterday. I'm sure you saw primary it. primary branch of government. It's we have to realize that America is not a monarchy. Certainly not in the hands of somebody who needs a teleprompter to figure out what he wants to say every day. Yeah. Sir, we've had a good discussion. It, it certainly wasn't anything that I, but it's been good. And at the end of the day, I hope and pray for the good people in the world. Whether they're in the United States or Russia, there are still very few righteous men and women in the world but like the prophet Elijah who said they're going to kill me why have you left me here to die God said when you think you're by yourself there is a remnant there is a remnant there is a Jewish saying Yeshuat Hashem Kehelifayim the salvation of God is in the blink of an eye wow and it can happen very quickly amen all right, this is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Hey, Dr. Woodlansky, we didn't talk about anything doctoral, but we had. I want to say thank you for the enlightenment. For uh, I'm, I'm glad we. Threw, I, lo- I love when I can sit and we can let our listeners know the Word of God. My pleasure. Next time I'll throw around a little Arabic. We'll have some fun. I'll nice, some nice. <laughs> thank you for being on the show, sir. This thank is you. Michael Gano with Insight to Israel and Chocolates for Heroes.
God bless the patriot conservatives who stand for the Judeo-Christian founded Constitution and Bill of Rights. And God bless 